I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Claire Phillips and I'm joined by my co-hosts Matt Bundy and Ant Firillo. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. And we're, we're back for the penultimate episode of this season, which I can't believe how fast it's gone. But we have got a great episode. We'll be back for the season finale in a couple of weeks too. So do stay tuned for that because you won't want to miss it. And it's not like one of those TV crime dramas where they keep you getting right up to who done it right at the end. I'm <laughs> sure you know what I'm sort of thinking oh, about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we just uh, bring you news and stories from the world of pubs, pints, people. We certainly do, and each episode follows a theme. I'm sure you've worked that one out by now, folks. And this week, we're focusing on beer design and labels. You know, the label on a bottle of beer can tell you a lot about the drink within. And there's some really basic information, like the ABV. That info, by the way, is courtesy of cameras push for brewers to say up front how strong their beer is. Uh, but labels on bottles and the printing on cans these days has a much bigger role in the making of the contents and how attractive it is to the consumer. We've seen some amazing art over the years and perhaps also conveying something of an ethos of the brewer behind the product, a trademark, if you like. And now that we're back in the pub, you can see the same sort of thing on the pump clips. Indeed, it's good to see the old pump clips again, isn't it, down the pub? Absolutely. And before we get into that, though, we've got a special end of series request for everyone. Now, as you know, we make this podcast for you, our regulars, if you like. <laughs> and we love hearing from you. We love getting your feedback. We love seeing your emails and your tweets. And we're coming to the end of the series, as we said. And we'd love now to hear your ideas for episodes in the next series. So if you have any suggestions or stories you think we should follow up, uh, can you email us? It's podcast at camera.org.uk and the team will review them for possible inclusion in season four. And now talking of the team as well, if you've enjoyed tuning into this season and you'd like to step into the fray and join our team of wonderful volunteers producing the podcast, then get in touch with us. You can use the same email address. You can tweet us. And remember, it's Volunteer Week 2021 as we record this. And without the hard work of the podcast volunteers... Uh, who write the scripts, edit the edit everything that we do. Presented, of course, we've got to include ourselves, guys, haven't we? We're, we are volunteers, <laughs> after all. And remember, we wouldn't have these fabulous episodes, fun What's Brewing, Archive Dives, and even our Twitter podcast account, our Pubs Finds People. We wouldn't have any of that show without volunteers. So if you're interested in getting involved, we'd love to welcome you on board. And around the country now, we're being allowed back inside the pub, which is music to the ears of beer lovers, of course, 
course, because we don't really want to have to put on our thermal underwear, winter coats and woolly hats, as we had to do only in May when we sat in these chilly beer gardens. <laughs> but it, it's still worth it, really, to freeze to death and have a decent pint. But the next stage of unlocking is definitely good news for, for the pubs as well as the customers. And a lot of pubs obviously weren't able to open earlier just because they didn't have any outdoor space. So it does seem like we're finally moving in the right direction and perhaps we will all be able to enjoy a summer of pub as we were doing before COVID struck. However, parts of the UK, we have to remember, are still under restrictions. And as we record this, it's just been announced that rules are set to be eased in Glasgow with plans to drop down to level two of Scotland's five-tier system, which means pubs will be able to sell alcohol indoors. Fingers crossed for everybody up in the north. Uh, as many of you will know, Cameras Pubs Matter campaign has created some new Twitter twibbons and Facebook frames, and you can use that to show your support for those pubs. You can find all of the details and add a returning to the pub frame to your profile pics at whypubsmatter.org.uk. Now, in other news, we have mentioned it's Volunteers Week earlier. A 1st to the 7th of June was Volunteers Week, which recognises those who volunteer their time and effort to make a difference and support their causes without getting paid, although there are other intangible benefits. Now, Camera has thousands of volunteers across 200 branches doing all sorts of tasks like pulling pints at beer festivals, supporting and getting involved with their local branches, liaising with breweries and pubs, working on the podcast, as Matt rightly said, and generally campaigning for real ale. Uh, there's probably a bit of a clue in the title. Now, you can find out more about Camera uh, on the website and look for the Volunteer With Us link under the About menu option on the homepage. Get involved. Let's do this. Indeed, June's a bit of a busy month for it, isn't it? It is. So, the 15th of June marks Beer Day Britain. Now, I mean, obviously, for some of us, every day is a beer day. We should Correct. be celebrating beer every day. <laughs> beer year. Of course, a beer year. Um, and Beer Day Britain, so it marks, unsurprisingly, Britain's National Beer Day. And it's an opportunity to celebrate our national drink and join in the national Cheers to Beer, which you can do by raising a glass at 7pm. You'll be doing that with millions of others. I'll do you have to do it on your, on your doorstep or, or, or anywhere? In, yeah. anywhere you like. <laughs> Just banging the glass. Going Just going to go and walk up and down the street swinging a, a, a pint glass in the air. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do every night. Anyway. Well, at, least, at least now it'll be allowed. Um, but, I mean, we'd love to see you all snapping a pic of your pints and sharing a post on social media with the hashtag. Uh, hashtag cheers to beer it is, is the hashtag. And more information is available at beerdaybritain.co.uk. And Cameron will be sharing more about it on all the official social channels. Now, I know we've, we've inundated you with links, hashtags, campaigns. Don't worry, you don't need to take notes. Everything's going to be included in the episode description. So don't worry about missing anything. And, and hopefully you're enjoying the new What's Brewing Online news platform, keeping up with the latest campaign and industry news there. And you can also set up email alerts for news stories as regularly as you like as well. That's very easy to do. You can hear about news in your local region or on specific subjects. So if you haven't visited so far, head over to wb.camera.org.uk and sign up. And the editor has said that feedback is very welcome and important at this fairly early stage of the online operation. It certainly is. And remember, it's Camera's 50th anniversary this year, so we're going to be regularly releasing articles on campaigning milestones, moments in that rich history of Camera's fight to make sure we can all enjoy a pint of the good stuff. There's a new batch of 10 that have just been released, which you can read at camera.org.uk forward slash 50 hyphen years forward slash 50 hyphen campaigns. 
Link is so in the description for that one. Find out about the battle in Scotland against unfairly tied pubs and how drinkers were sometimes being misled by what was on the hand pump. And also there's some really good stuff for camera branches on the 50th hub on the website, including social media assets and draft magazine and newsletter templates. Okay, so final Parish Bulletin, everybody, and a very exciting one. (laughs) Camera has a new beer book coming out on the 12th of August. It's called Modern British Beer. It's by Matthew Curtis, the award-winning writer and photographer, and it maps out the evolution of the beers we all drink now by following the stories of individual regional beers. And you can pre-order your copy on the camera shop now. So I'll tell you what, get ready for a good read in August. That sounds fantastic. And talking of books, actually, it's time for the first of our two interviews. We're chatting with the beer expert and writer Pete Brown, who's author of Camera Books, Beer by Design, The Art of Good Beer Branding. And the interview's conducted by our very own Matt. Well, hello, everyone. And I'd like to welcome back to the podcast the man, the legend, one of our finest (laughs) beer writers, Pete Brown. Pete, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Right, so now your new book... Uh, which I have been avidly reading uh, and just happens to be available to buy on the camera website. We've got to get the plug in early, haven't we, folks? Uh, It is called Beer by Design, the Art of Good Beer Branding. Uh, And that is a theme close to my heart. How many years in the making has this been? It's probably, if I'm honest, about 23 years. Oh, it can't be that long. It is that long. It's Yeah, I started work in 1997 on working in an ad agency for Stella Artois and Heineken. And I was making ads rather than doing packaging design. It's always been a fundamental part of, of what I do. And that, that whole marketing background is what ended up making me become a beer writer. It's, this is, in, in some ways, this is the book that takes me right back to the beginning. There we are. It's a culmination of your knowledge. But as you say, a nice, it's a cyclical thing, taking you all the way back. Are you going to retire on a high or are you going to keep on going? <laughs> retire. <laughs> um, Roger Protz is now in his 80s and he's not retired yet. So I don't think I will be retiring <laughs> anytime soon. Um, so in, in your book, what I love about this book is that you go through the history of great branding for the ages, but you also bring it right up to date, kind of the modern rules of branding, commandments, as you call them. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the point is more that the commandments have been ripped up. There's a very, very well-established ways of doing effective uh, commercial branding. If you're thinking about being in a pub, the rules are things like um, the name should be memorable, it should be pronounceable it should be something that you're not embarrassed to shout out the packaging should be very clear so that you know if if a bottle is in a fridge behind the bar you can immediately see what it is you can decide whether you want to to buy it or not and and what modern branding's done is gone you know what we're going to chuck all that in the bin and we're going to use the beer can or the beer bottle as a canvas for art for interesting art it's not about shouting or even kind of selling anymore it's about intriguing people drawing them in making them think this looks intriguing i want to know more about it it's interesting in the books where you describe um, some modern can designs almost as akin to like music album artwork my big record buying days were back in the age of vinyl the vinyl album sleeve is an object in its own right it works to intrigue people people used to go to record shops just to flip through the vinyl looking for stuff and you think about how iconic some lp uh, images are uh, i think beer's now working in the same way it, it, it draws you in it sends signals it, it works on various levels and you could tell from an album cover 
whether this album was for you because you understood the codes, you understood the references on it. And that's now working with craft beer can art. You've got certain styles, certain codes. And, and the thing is, what it's doing, it's recognising that beer is a cultural product. Back in the 80s when I started drinking, certain beer bands were very trendy. And so you, we started drinking them from the bottle because, of course, you could choose a really cool beer and it gets poured into a pint glass and no one can see what a really cool choice you've just made. So we would drink it from the bottle, hold the label out, and so, hey, oh, hey that guy's drinking Corona, that guy's drinking salt. And the labels themselves weren't cool. Coolness came from somewhere else. It came from the TV ads or, or somewhere else. Whereas now the labels on beer themselves are cool. And people are building brands because of the labels. It's the labels themselves that, that are making the beer cool. It's interesting, though, isn't it? As you say, I, the, the classic thing would be that a branding needs to tell the story. It is welcoming people in. And I guess what we're talking about here is that they are more of a closed book. It is You, almost, you have to be in on it to know what the branding is, what the, what the brand is, or, and, and, and even what the type of beer that is in the can or the bottle is. It's, very, it's much more of a, of a closed book. Do you think that's a positive or a negative thing? I think it works in both ways, and through the course of writing the book back in March it's very much a lockdown book since March until now uh, there's been a change the, the, the trends have, have shifted slightly because before I started this I used to look at some of these beer cans and think that's not for someone like me and as you said you know it's like certain people are meant to get the codes or the references and if you don't then it's like oh yeah maybe we're a bit too cool for you mate and then certainly as I've got older I've started to feel that about some craft beer brands and that's fine you know there's, there's this thing within beer that you reject what your parents generation drank you know, you've got to drink something different and, and as we grow up we have to establish our own separate personality and the kind of things we choose the kind of labels we, we go for a part of that choice we say I'm this kind of person you know, I, I grew up in Barnsley and I went to great pains as a young person to, to not be like a person from Barnsley. <laughs> and then, then I kind of went back to it later on in my life. There are now two and a half thousand brewers out there. And I think a lot of them are now starting to go, maybe I can't afford to turn people away. Maybe I can't afford to be this mysterious and this aloof. And we're starting to just see some of those classic principles of branding creep back in. Uh, and we start to see brands kind of smarten themselves up and go, yeah, we've still got the beautiful labels, but our branding and the information side of it uh, is starting to become a lot clearer as well. Mm. I guess, do you think that fundamentally there should be some basic information that's clear on a can or a, or a bottle or a, or a pump clip? Is Because uh, uh, some of the examples you use in the book, like you would struggle to even notice that it is a beer that's, that's, that's within it. Do you, do you personally feel that there should be a minimum bit of information about what's in it on it? I think um, another analogy that I use in in the book is is with books themselves. That's that old saying about you can't judge a book by its cover, but we all do. Uh, and I once worked on marketing for books, uh, and I broke down dreadful, dreadful marketing phrase. I don't want to take that to, to your advertising agency days, but but the consumer journey. Oh yeah, oh take me back, <laughs> take me away from it. Yeah, exactly. So it's just all this, all this horrible jargon and stuff. But the, the consumer journey is basically, you know, what process do you go through before you end up buying something? Uh, and it's, it's a very different process if you're buying a car than if you're buying a tin of beans, you know. Um, but the consumer journey for buying a book, the front cover of a book, the sole purpose of the front cover is to make you pick it up. 
And then once you've picked it up, the first thing you do is you turn it over, you look at the back, and you read the blurb on the back. And if and if that's interesting, then you might flip through it. And if you've got that far, there's a good chance that you're going to buy it. So if we apply that to beer, the, if I'm in a shop, if I'm in a bottle shop, the purpose of the front of the can, what I can see when it's on the shelf, should make me want to pick it up. And And some of these designs certainly do that so if i've picked the beer up i've got it in my hand if i'm thinking about the book analogy i should then be able to turn it round and see the information on the back and if it works that way that's fine but but if i pick up a beer and i'm turning it round uh and i'm i'm turning it round in my hand and i still can't see what the beer's like or who's brewed it or anything like that then it's it may be a beautiful object but it's not working as a piece of commercial design that actually sells a product I think that's the thing to bear in mind is that, it, as you know from advertising data, it is not a piece of art. It is a it is a product with a purpose. It can be artistic and it can be a work of art, but it has to be a commercial work of art as well. It has, it has to do a commercial job. And do you think there's a, there's a great divergence, I guess, between the deliberately niche, maybe more opaque kind of challenger brands it feels like there is a there is a, a huge gulf now in the approaches that are being that are being taken is that is that a recent thing or is there has there always been there it's in, in its in its current form it's a recent thing and and it's starting to narrow again after about a decade of going so wide so there's always been different conventions i suppose uh and this is the, a bit that i really enjoy it's amazing how beer branding for so long mainstream big brands was so samey. It all followed the same conventions. You got that oval label with with writing around the outside, which the designers call the the racetrack. You got some kind of symbol, whether it's a harp or a star or a, a red triangle. Uh, you got the name across the middle. If you've got any medals, they'll go somewhere on the bottom. Inevitably, at some point, it'll say premium quality, finest ingredients, that kind of thing. And beer brands, when you look at them like that, the mainstream ones, they're really, really quite dull. But they're trying to be premium, they're trying to be authoritative. And I, I go back to 2007 when Brewdog launched. And we remember Brewdog a lot for their you know, wacky PR stunts. But when you see that packaging against the mainstream beer packaging that went before it, it's spray painted, It's the text is all out of line and alignment, uh, it's wonky, it doesn't look like a professional piece of design. And that's them very, very clearly saying, we are not part of the beer establishment. This is different, this is new, this is dangerous. And that kind of gave permission, it freed things up, just like Punk did, uh, for people to go, you know what, you can do a beer label however you want. Uh, and a lot of this stuff is very deliberately saying, we are not mainstream beer. We, we look nothing like mainstream beer, and you know why? Because we taste nothing like a mainstream beer. This is new, it's different, it's interesting. And it's worked phenomenally well. In, in that respect. But what it's done is it's pushed things so far that some of the mainstream brands have gone, you know what, maybe we can have a bit more fun as well. And there's, there's brands now that would have looked crazy 10 years ago that, that now look quite normal uh, compared to what the, the extremes of craft. I think that's fascinating. I mean, it, you're tapping in there when you're talking about when brands like Brewdogs launch, the, the cult of the new, I guess, newness versus being timeless and classic. And I know that's a theme that comes up a lot in your book. You talk about, you know, the, the one, the fear, I guess, of, of reinventing a proven design, particularly if you're making millions, if you're a mass market product. So can you think of any brands who have actually genuinely successfully reinvented their design? They might have been a bit old-fashioned and they've reinvented themselves for the new world. 
Yeah, it's, I, I, this is the bit where I think it's the most interesting, actually. So uh, th- that that thing about the shock of the new is is definitely a thing. Whenever I'm having a bad beer day, uh, I do get this sense of craft beer is eating itself because novelty for the sake of novelty, uh, you know, pastry stouts and different beers and trends coming in. And we spoke to some brewers for this book and they go, oh, no, we've changed that now. You know, that's six months old. We've, we've moved on from that. New isn't always good, I, I think, but change can be positive and a lot of change works really well. And going back to some of the real ale designs, one of my favourites uh, is uh, Moorhouses. And they've been going, you know, for a while. Uh, they've um, a traditional real ale brand, making traditional real ales. And the brewery is quite near Pendle Hill which has got a very interesting history of witches, the witch trials in the 17th century and that kind of stuff. And if you think back to, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the way that real ale brands were traditionally marketed, if we've got an interest story about witches, then we're going to put some saucy Halloween witches on our pump clips with short skirts and stockings and suspenders. And it's like that stuff, I mean, there's still some of that around, but it's just a bit past its sell-by date now, isn't it? And, And more houses recognize that they haven't had to ditch their heritage and their interesting genuine story about the witches what they've got now is they've still got beers called white witch and black cat and things like that but they've made it more mysterious and more intriguing i'm not singling them out as the worst offenders and with the old stuff by the way it was their stuff was quite sort of moderate compared to some of the worst examples but they've shown you that you can do a stylish attractive effective design without throwing out the stuff that is is your identity and and so i think they they're one that i really celebrate as a uh, as a great example of how things move on and you can use design to kind of change no definitely i'd say you mentioned by the way i just want to talk about we talked all about cans and bottles but you mentioned pump clips there and my fellow host ant is a massive <coughs> fan of a great pump clip the the art of the pump clip you you talk about you talked about them being hand drawn is that how they originally were or? well what what I realised I, I wouldn't say this because I, I always knew it but uh, under the old tide house system you knew that if you went to a Whitbread pub you were going to get Whitbread beers and if you went into a Courage pub you were going to get Courage beers and you knew that there was going to be a uh, an ordinary bitter there was going to be a best bitter there was going to be a mild so you, you go into the pub and you say, pint of bitter, pint of mild. And when you look at uh, photos of pub interiors, even up to as late as the 1950s, 1960s, there are no pump clips because you don't need them. That if you walk into a Whitbread pub, you're going to be drinking Whitbread bitter. And if you walk into a Courage pub, you're going to be drinking Courage bitter or Courage mild or whatever. And it's only when beer starts selling quite a lot in supermarkets... And so you need packaging design, which then gets lifted from the packaging onto the pump clip. And and secondly, when you start getting guest beers, the pump clips become a lot more important. And if you look at beer outside real ale, since all this happened, there's been this arms race in font sizes. You know, beer fonts, if you go back to the 60s, lager fonts for carling or the font for Watney's Red Barrel, there were tiny little boxes that would, might, might have a little electric light inside them to make them glow. And then you compare that now with Peroni, which is 65 centimetres tall, the Peroni font. Uh, we asked them for the for the book. And, uh, and you know, you walk in, you've got this forest now. And many is a time back when we used to go to pubs, uh, you'd order a pint and the, and the bar person would be trying to pass it to you between the, this, this forest of Pump, uh, tall fonts, they'd knock the glass against a font and then have to top it up again because it's just ridiculous. <laughs> the real ale hand pump 
in, through all this has remained the same size and the same design so that pump clips got to work very hard uh, and what we're seeing in pump clips now is moving away from this oval people really messing around with the shape of them uh, people putting different things on them expanding the the, the, the shape cutting out different shapes to make it really stand out on the bar because real ale is having to really really struggle to stay as visible as, as some of these massive lager fonts and so creativity is 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 really important in doing that well pete thank you so much for speaking to me your book as I say, is available on the camera website uh, beer by design the art of good beer branding it's an absolute cracker thanks so much pete it's been fantastic thank you Matt, you sounded very starstruck in that one. What a great interview. <laughs> it's weird listening to you and both that. I mean, my, most of my questions were, just how amazing do I think you are, Pete Brown? I think <laughs> that is the But it is, a great, it is a great book, and obviously and sold through camera as well. Um, I've got it beside me right now. It's absolutely fantastic, especially for somebody like me who, who loves the branding and obviously used to work in advertising it's uh there's just such an interesting story the way that branding has developed over the years yeah i i really thought that as well and just you know some of the things that you know perhaps would have been acceptable back in the day which i think pete alluded to really with um pump clip designs and, and that sort of thing um that you know where Perhaps what would have been a traditional thing, maybe back in the in the seventies, even with beer names, have have now changed completely, and how breweries have had to adapt to that that sort of thing. Um, obviously, you know, it, it's completely right that it it has done, but I, I would imagine that for for some of them, if they'd put their whole marketing into a particular style, it, it's a lot to change. I consider myself to be probably a bit of a beer branding bore. I have cans that I've collected from various uh, years displayed in my house and uh, can regale or bore, depending on how they uh, see it, any guess. Um, now that I'm allowed to come around, I kind of show off uh, the different designs that I have. And, and it's really interesting where you can chart some of the, the absolute classics through the years, even the way that, that those have changed, and then how the the outlier brands, the challengers, you know, we talked about uh, Brewdog there, when IPA kind of respond to what the prevailing style is of the time and kind of rebel against it, mm. and uh, so, so it's just a really interesting cycle. If you could li- line up every beer that had been produced in order, which somebody's got to do sometime, surely, probably uh, somebody already look, has. Look somebody probably has somewhere with a, a bigger wall than I have. <laughs> uh, it, it would tell a great story, I think. And, and I guess it's so easy to make labels anyway now, you know, the, the, the printing methods and, and the uh, adhesion methods and everything, so much easier than, than it would have been. You can probably make up some, some beer labels really quickly. I mean, certainly some breweries will do that. You can send a, a picture of a, a couple who are getting married and have a special label done for their wedding, and it's, it's quite easy to do. So labels changing massively all the time, much more quickly. Yeah, certainly are, and you're absolutely right, Matt. I just I, I love the history of them, and actually, I was I picked up the last issue of Beer Magazine again very recently for another flick through, and uh, just looking at some of those early trademarks and labels, and the article about Bass and its first trademark with a red red triangle. It is great to think of that's where it all kind of started and where it is today. It's wonderful. Now, listen, it's time to say we're only here for the beer. Have either of you seen any outstanding pump clips or labels lately? And if so, did the beer live up to the billing? Where are we heading this week, folks? 
Well, I'm heading to a pub. Not exactly. Um, it, it is a kind of marketing story behind it, um, because when I was a, a kid, we had a set of placemats that we always had our, our dinner off on the on the table. Um, and we all had our own one. I suspect they probably were given away free with petrol at a petrol station because quite a lot of stuff in our house did come to us. <laughs> that way. Happy um, shopper stuff. But, but <laughs> these, these placemats all had different pubs on them. And I remember looking at them, you know, every meal we had, I'd look at my plate on this placemat and thinking, I, I wonder where these pubs are. And, and one, not that long ago, maybe two or three years ago, I did actually manage to visit one of them. It was in Northumberland. It is in the Good Beer Guide. Um, and it was the Lord Crew Arms at Blanchard, um, or Blancheland, rather. Um, and it's a, it's a really historic building. Um, lovely to go inside. Um, but, but looking at it, I, I kind of stood in the place where the picture on the placemat was taken and looked down the hill at it and thought the pub sign should be orange because 30 years ago or however long ago it was probably a bit longer than 30 years ago actually 40 um the 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 pub sign on the placemat was was orange but that bit of branding and marketing has stayed with me forever um and yeah it was certainly worth visit blancheland in northumberland the lord crew arms it is quite an iconic pub beers from um really unusual places uh, some from local breweries certainly some beers i'd never had before and it's 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 a hotel as well, but it's just worth a visit anyway, just for the building. Um, obviously, the beer as well. And if you had those those placemats as kids, then see if you can visit the whole set, because I certainly intend to. <laughs> I love that story, Claire. Uh, well, for me this week, I uh, I've been really enjoying because at the time of, uh, of recording, we've had a belting bank holiday weekend of weather, haven't we? Uh, and it, and it's left me pining for more sunshine and thinking, well, when was the last time I had a really nice beer in the sunshine? And I remember the trip I went to uh, Brighton with my lovely wife, and we went down and met her uncle there, who's who's London based, and had a wonderful afternoon parading up and down uh, the beachfront, uh, and on the way back to the train station, in fact, just. 200 yards south of the station is the Evening Star. Now, if some of those listening may well be familiar with the place already. Um, quite a small pub, but there's a few tables on the street. Really, really wonderful beers on offer there. It actually used to be tied to Dark Star Brewery, uh, who brewed directly in the cellar beneath the pub, but, uh, but that isn't the case anymore, although some of their beers may still be on. Um, but yeah, it's one of those pubs where you, after after a really long walk up and down, we must have done thousands and thousands of steps. We were just heading back up to the train station, and it was that classic: shall we have one more before we part ways? And that was the pub that we chose to sit in. And ever since, and certainly this weekend that we just had, I'm thinking, oh, I'd love to go back down there in this glorious sunshine, flip flops on, beer in hand, enjoying the enjoying the rays of sun. That sounds fantastic. Um, I'm going for a similar sunny theme. Uh, staying, staying local in, in Berkhamsted, where I live, I'm heading to the Bull this time, uh, which is apparently, according to the Good Beer Girl, I didn't know this, is the oldest surviving pub in Berkhamsted and dates back to 1535. But, mm. uh, but more relevantly now, um, it's got an amazing like canal-side seating area, which I hadn't really explored before, but it was absolutely beautiful. We were sitting out there um, enjoy, enjoying the sun and watching all the canal boats go past and what i thought was interesting though is that they they have an app where you can order outside but i found it was quite difficult because i I obviously like to peruse the kind of the the normal guest ales and kind of see what they what they look like what takes my fancy so i i actually i put my mask on and i and i headed inside just to check out the pumps and it's just the most incredible wood paneled bar and it had some tring uh beers that were on there and it was just a lovely feeling to actually be able to go in and kind of be and 
tranced by the by the beer clip that you see on on the bar and it's going to be my uh, drink for last orders later uh, and i just thought it was a lovely combination where you can you can get the best of pubs you can sit outside in the sun level of time but you can go inside uh, and make your choice from the beers that are there so yeah the bull at Berkhamstead. yeah it definitely makes a difference being able to go in and, and look at what beers they've got on offer and, and then choose yeah. rather than having to ask somebody coming to you in the garden what they've got definitely especially if there's a lot on offer because then you almost feel guilty that they've got to go back and check them all out and if you're not familiar with some of the names you're like is that a dark is it a gold nail is it you know what is it but uh, yeah I agree I like to go and have a look at those pump clips and go ooh I can't fancy that one so being able to do that's really important Okay, well, let's move on to our second interview. Now, one place where it's so important that your beer stands out from the crowd and almost leaps off the shelf into your hand is, of course, a bottle shop. Mm. And we're just about to hear from Simon Yarwood of the Epicurean. Uh, He runs three bottle shops in Manchester. And it actually says on the website I've got in front of me here that Simon personally assesses every beer they stock. Oh, I bet he does. I I love that. Yes, I love that. (laughs) Tasty and the quality of the label of sure that's everyone there i mean that is taking personal responsibility for quality isn't it yeah and also also in the interview is bosberry from the burton road brewing company great whose name. Beers feature yeah that is a great name isn't it yeah and whose beers feature some of the creative artwork that p brown was talking about earlier and they are both in conversation with owen ralph we're here today at the Epicurean in West Didsbury, South Manchester, one of three independent beer shops run by Simon. Um, Simon, just tell us a bit about your beer, your award-winning beer shops. Yep, um, thanks for having us on, Owen. Um, we set the business up back in March 2014. It was right on the sort of the early days where the craft beer industry was really starting to flourish. So we saw the opening there and decided, let's go for it, um, open our first shop. Um, following that, uh, a couple of years later, we opened our shop in Heaton Moor. And then last year, some people said it was a fool's move, but uh, opened the shop in Chorlton during lockdown. Um, so, yeah, it's been success after success. It's, got, it's really sort of grown. Uh, we've got a great customer base, really good following. We've won quite a few awards over the years that we've been open. Uh, in 2018, we got the People's Choice Best Independent Bot Shop for the Manchester Beer Week Awards. Um, 2019, we were SEBA Best Independent Retailer, uh, which was a national award. And also in 2019, we got Best um, Drinks Retailer of the Year at the National Retail Industry Awards. We're here also with Bosberry, Richard through his mum and dad. Bos, you work with Simon, but you also uh, run a contract brewing company called the Burton Road Brew Co. Just tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, we've kind of built our business along um, the same timeline as uh, Simon opening up, really. Um, we, we started out in 2015 as uh, a couple of home brewers um, with our first beer and... Uh, now moved into from bottles to cans um, along the way. As we as we sit here now, we're surrounded by cans and bottles. Uh, quite a lot to look at, really. Just tell me, Simon, in the seven years since you started, how has the design of uh, beer changed? It's it's changed considerably. Um, and speaking to friends in the wine industry, to the envy of the wine industry, to be honest with you, because you look. Back 2014, uh, it was predominantly bottles with very simple wraparound labels, whereas people spent less time looking at them 
whereas now with the sort of fun, more funky side of the labelling, um, people come in and do actually buy on the labelling. We have what I'd refer to as sort of two or three categories of customers. We've got complete newbies that want to get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the experimenters that come in every week and will buy a couple of the staples, but will then also buy something different. And then you've got the connoisseurs that yeah. really know what they want. Uh, but the first two categories are really sort of drawn in with the branding yeah. and, and labelling. Um, so it's good in a way, a lot of the brewers now, I'm just looking at one for example, sort of pressure drop. Yeah. I love the way that their sort of labels are quite sort of cool and funky, sometimes cartoons or sort of very arty, but they've always got their sort of pressure drop icon at the top of the can. Um, similar to Polly's, you can't yeah. mistake a Polly's can because it's got the... Describe it as a teardrop on it, the, the, yeah. drop, the droplet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people, the number of people you hear that come in the shop, um, first thing to say is, wow, these, the artwork is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so we do get an awful lot of people buying it based on the labels, but that's where the challenge is for us and the buyers. We can't go all style, no substance. The beer's got to back up the branding and the labeling behind it. When we opened here, we must have had two or three racks or fridges worth of American beer um, and European mm. but the British and English and more we're very fortunate where we are in Manchester sort of Leeds areas the breweries here have really stepped up so you look in our fridges now we've got what one shelf of American beer whereas we've got two or three fridges full uh, of locals and do you think I guess there was a lot more bottles when you started than yeah. cans do you think the, the migration to cam has been, is that just because it's a better canvas for design? Boz, you started with bottles now, I think you do both. I was going to say, uh, excuse the pun, it's a good illustration of that. Is that we, uh, we started out with our first um, our pale ale as, as kind of a, just a, a jolly, a fun um, project for us. Um, we had a friend who was a designer, um, not a Gaz Scott, who was called, uh, who did our first design um, on the brief of relaxing in an urban environment um, and in McKill with a great great design for us um, but we knew that was only one part of it, we had to back it up with a great beer as well I should say the beer came first <laughs> and then the design afterwards um, and that's kind of been the challenge throughout um, matching great designs with, with, with even better beer if possible because as we said there's, there's no point in having a great looking beer um, design people buying it on that basis and then never buying it again because it's a not a very good beer. And, and Simon, have you noticed as certain brews or beers have gone over to Cannes or changed the design that you suddenly sell more of them? Yes. Uh, when we first opened, we did sell an awful lot. It was probably one of our best sellers. Uh, again, local marble with their yeah. iconic labelling. Uh, the red wraparound for the Manchester Bitter, sort of bluey colour, grey dobber, uh, I know they've discontinued that now. Mm. When they went to the black bottles with just the white writing on them, the sales did drop off because people did rec- didn't recognise it. Whereas before, the iconic branding people recognised. Yeah. Uh, but now that they've gone in the cans, sort of back to their old school iconic labelling, uh, we sell a lot of marble beers now throughout the three outlets. Yeah. Uh, but there is one, I think, that sort of. Um, does complete opposite to all that, um, which is Colonel. Yeah, yeah. Only bottles, 
again, it's an iconic sort of wraparound. I don't know whether everyone would appreciate saying it's like a bus ticket label. It's just a wraparound label. Um, we sell loads of Colonel. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's a great beer. That table beer is one of my favourite. But again, it just sort of smacks in the opposite of all this really cool, funky branding that sells so much and it's just not changed in all the years. Do you get collectors of certain beers or certain labels so they'll come in and they've introduced a new one and they want I've got to have that as well yes yeah uh, and without naming and not naming and shaming but a couple of my staff <laughs> when I've said to them look guys we've got a dinted tin here will you have that one and then we can sell the one that's not no 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 I want that one because I want my perfect camp yeah um, but yeah we do get guys in that there's some that have got scrapbooks where they peel the labels off really carefully and stick them in uh, and then they link it to the untapped account. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's definitely collectors. Well, I know, um, I remember Northern Monk did a range um, featuring certain artists. Patrons Projects, yeah, Was where they had their double skinned labels that they then did a scrapbook, didn't they? Yeah, and we'd often get people coming in asking specifically for those and the next designers and can and stuff like that. So uh, I'm sure they drank the beer as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we've talked about Marble, we've talked about Burton Road Brewing Co, we've picked out a couple more local breweries. Tell us about these and why you think they're interesting. Yep, I've picked out um, Runaway Brewery, their pale ale, uh, in a bottle. Yeah. Um, what I like about these, they're just consistent. They're, they've got the sort of the, the wraparound label, the, the icon is the big R, so you'd know it's Runaway Brewery before you read the bottom underneath it where it says Runaway Brewery, Pale Ale, but I just like the sort of consistency that it's the same branding, it's the same label, all that changes is the colour of the label depending on the style of beer. It's not one of those that needs to be eye level to draw people in, it's there, people know where it is and it sells. Yeah, well, I've also picked out a local brewery, Squawk Brewing, um, but they've quite highly designed uh, along with the the an ornithological theme. Um, with, with each can having a different bird featured. Really highly designed, look beautiful, great work. It's by Camille Smithwick and uh, designed by Known Aim, and um, they've carried that through all their cans, and it's I find it really effective. So, two totally different designs there, but both really popular local breweries. Yeah. yeah. You're a, a bottle shop, a can shop. Um, I'm guessing the lockdown's been quite good for you. Yeah, we've, we've held our own, to be fair. Yeah. Um, we were fortunate. Uh, I feel for my friends and colleagues in the hospitality industry that have suffered. But, yeah, we have, we've been very fortunate. Yeah. Uh, but that's also seen quite a change in the products that we sell a lot of. Um, our lager sales have really, really increased during lockdown. But that being said, that's an added bonus um, because there is still that thirst for the big hoppy IPAs, double IPAs, the Imperial Stouts, um, but I've noticed in the last month or so, the trend is moving back down towards more sessionable um, ABVs. And is this as the pubs are open again? <sighs> it was starting before then, so I don't know whether it was people drinking at home were going big, yeah. um, <laughs> rather than drinking 7, 8, 9% as when they're out in the pub, they're happier drinking it at home. Um, but just over the last month or two, we've really seen a change that there's a big demand for sort of table beer strength and sessionable strength beers. So they may be treating themselves before because they couldn't go anywhere else. And... I think, yeah, they'd, they'd spend four, five, six pounds on a can of a double IPA um, because they're used to paying that for a pint of a pale ale in a bar or a schooner. 
so they were treating themselves because they felt they were getting value for money. Um, maybe, then, it may be people being back at work as well, you don't want two, two double IPAs and night, <laughs> yeah. night before you go back to work. Yeah, definitely. But I, I think we've also both benefited from what we hope is a trend that's going to continue of, of shopping local and supporting local brands or, or products. say that was a, a really brave move opening their third outlet during lockdown but it obviously found a, a big market for home drinking and they're still very popular they even have their customers classified as newbies experimenters and connoisseurs i wonder what category we'd all be in uh, loud and Larry, kick him out <laughs> as soon as possible <laughs> yeah, yeah i see myself as a as a newbie really you know young and fresh but uh, i think i don't oh, think yeah. i think I, I'd, be, I, I'd be an experimental yeah I think. me, me yeah. too i think I'm, I'm not a i'm not a connoisseur but uh I, I mean can you ever really be i suppose you can be a connoisseur if you work really hard at it i i, I just don't not not enough time too many beers and all that sort of thing <laughs> Yeah, it's impossible to be a connoisseur now. There's too many thing, beers out there, there's too many types. You can't be a connoisseur of everything, I would say. But um, I thought it was interesting in the interview, they talked about the growing popularity of cans, which we talked about a few times, haven't we? You know, the, the debate yeah. between can and bottle. Uh, and I, I don't know whether they, they kind of came to any conclusion. I've got some own th- my own theories about it. I guess there's certainly more scope for covering a can with artwork. It's a bit easier to print all the way around, maybe allows it to be a bit more individual, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, I remember back to when we had um, when we had the Florence Nightingale. Do you remember that ale that came to us from uh, Watling Street Brewery and, uh, and really was saying that the, the can design, they were really able to play with it because it went all the way around that wrap. And I remember all the little icons and graphics that were used um, because it was, you know, beer was brewed right in the midst of the the, the pandemic in that, in that big lockdown. And... Um, it's something that I've been able to just peel off and, and keep, you know. And I think that's, the, that's the, the thing you can do with cans is you can take that label off and almost collect them and stick them to, to you know, an old pub table or put them in a scrapbook. I mean, not everyone does that. I, I quite enjoy doing that myself, but that maybe that's just me. <laughs> Did you collect stamps as a kid? I, I collected stamps. I inherited my granddad's stamp collection. I got all the sticker books as a kid, much to the dismay of my parents because they cost a fortune. And I look forward to mm. doing this same with my children it's like <laughs> and, the, the panini sticker book of uh, oh, uh, yeah, panini have had a lot of my life savings over the years <laughs> <that's for sure. laughs> you, you could make make your own sort of sticker book with the peelable labels for for your kids and just say yeah yeah we've got some new ones you know daddy's got to drink it first but then you can have the the label for your book i, I tell you what claire <laughs> if there are any brewers listening out there that is not a bad shot if you can make a, a load of beers from your production line with little with little peelable sticky stamps i think you're onto something there yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'll take the credit for that. <laughs> Definitely. Anyway, it's time now for our dive into the archive and guess what year we're going back to? It's oh. our old friend, 1978. <laughs> I'll get me flares back on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're, we're looking at an ad- advert in, in What's Brewing um, from, from this one. It's uh, a bottle of beer with a classic and easily recognisable label. It, it is, of course, a bottle of Guinness. The strapline asks What's Brewing in a clever nod to the newspaper's title and you'd be in no doubt what's inside the bottle here. Uh, Guinness have changed their brand um, in various ways over the years and the law even got involved to stop them saying that Guinness is good for you but two things have stayed the same I'm pretty sure that 
Every bottle over the years has had the harp and the signature of Arthur Guinness on the front. Yeah, it's so recognisable, isn't it? And it's one of those traditional ones that Pete Brown was talking about with fairly basic information, nothing too fancy. But interestingly, it's not like a, a fine wine that's bottled at the Chateau, but rather they're quite proud of the fact that it's so mainstream and popular that it's the bottled by brewers and bottlers everywhere, Strathlan. I do I do like that about the article. And I think if you look at the, the campaigns Guinness have run over the years... They've, they've been so memorable, haven't they? And, and funnily enough, referring back to that, that um, copy of Beer Mag that I've been flicking through again, they talk about that. And do you remember the whole, the whole uh, horses galloping through the sea campaign? And so mm. instantly recognisable. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Guinness's uh, brewery in Dublin. It's on the hit they, list for 22. I went there for my stag do, actually. And it was a very cultural start to the day. And we, but they've actually got a, a whole floor of that dedicated to their adverts so kind of through the years. And it just reminds you, you know, if 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 a beer commits to having some really strong brandy, and and even their most recent advert where um, they have things that represent the the pint glass with the with with the white top and the and the and the black main body, mm. and it's it's just a wonderful heritage of beer. But um, I, I, what I like about uh, this advert. Uh, is that they they talk about the secret recipe for this uh, that's kept under our cap, which I think yeah. is a yeah. line that's in there. And uh, it, it's interesting though that the toucan. Do you remember that the kind of yeah? I, I've got a story about Guinness. the Guinness toucan. I'll, I'll tell Go you on. in a minute. Well, when um, a few years, probably about ten years ago, I took part in a charity fun run, and a patron of the charity or trustee or something was um, Lord Ivor, who is a, a member of the Guinness family, and he took part in the fun run dressed as the Guinness toucan. Oh my! So goodness. he is, you know, if his na- he's known as Lord Ivor, but I believe his family name is Guinness, and he he wore a, a, a Guinness toucan outfit and somebody else, I don't know if it's a member of his family or a colleague or, or whatever, but um, dressed as a pint of Guinness. And uh, and they took part in this charity fun run as the Guinness toucan and a pint of Guinness. And, and he is... Mr Guinness or, well, you, or, you know, his family was, was Mr Guinness. So, uh, yeah, it was very entertaining. <laughs> that is brilliant. I don't know whether I can top that. I, I just had a, a fact that I wanted to, if anybody can disprove me, please tweet us at Pubs Finance People. But as far as I understand it, the toucan has been used on loads of Guinness branded things, like adverts and bar towels. Um, it was 1935 when John Gurai first designed it. But as far as I know, it's never actually appeared on a bottle or a can of Guinness. Oh. If anybody can tell me different, please get in touch because I'd love to know. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Time now for our last orders and um, a look at what we've been drinking as we've visited pubs again this week. Um, I, I actually had a, a really nice beer. I didn't expect to like it because it was an amber beer and ambers aren't usually my favourite, but we were at a local pub and it was one of those ones where we, we couldn't go um, or we, we didn't go inside. I think it's a, it's a community pub, volunteer-led, and they weren't really keen to have people inside if you sat outside. So they came to the table and said, what have you got? They said, oh, we've got this beer by Cabin Brewery, um, which was a brewery I, I don't think I'd tried before. They're in Bilderston in Suffolk, um, South Suffolk, and they had a beer called Autumn Leaf. It's a 3.8%. As I say, a bit of an amber beer. It was gorgeous. We went back the next mm. day and, uh, and and had another couple of pints of it. I uh, can really recommend it, and I'll certainly be looking out for, for beers at, at um, beer festivals, etc., once we can get back to those from Cabin Brewery in Bilderston, because I, I didn't know much about them. But uh, it looks like from looking in the Good Beer Guide, they have quite a few different beers, and if, if Autumn Leaf is anything to go by, then I'll definitely be trying some of the rest. 
Oh, sounds delicious. Well, I'm a bit torn this week with two, uh, and because Matt, Matt reminded me as he was talking about his we're, we're only here for the beer, and that's that I wanted to mention a beer that I was drinking in that pub at the time uh, because it has a really, really gorgeous label, and that's by the um, Hot Bat Brewing. It's called Summer Lightning. Oh, really, I love really, Summer Lightning. Yeah, yeah, and, and I love that nice, bright, vibrant yellow pump clip with the face smiling mm. back at me that just says, come on, Aunt, get me in a glass and get me down your neck. So that's my first one but the, the, there's a beer I've tried this week it's a new one um it wasn't in the pub but well it wasn't in a proper pub as it were it was around my mate Tony's house who, who as we know is featured on the show lots uh, and he's got his own pub shed and he said here I have one of these and he gave me a can of a extra pale ale called Scaramanga and it's made by Gun Brewery over in Sussex and it was really really refreshing again with the good weather we've been having I couldn't resist and had to have a, a, about five or six of them in the end I'm not gonna lie uh, really really delicious all that Sussex spring water goes into the recipe it, the can describes an avalanche of American hops and it really doesn't disappoint. This thing really quenches the thirst and there's a nice citrus finish to the end. So I thought, well, I've, I said to him, when I record the next episode, I will give it a mention because it was delicious. So my beer of the week is uh, Scaramanga Pale Ale by Gum Brewery, but I just wanted to nod Summer Lightning and my visit down to Brighton because I really, really do like that beer as well. That sounds delightful. Well, mine's very simple. I say I went to the bowl in said I love Tring Brewery. They, they had the first thing I saw as I came in, so for bar was Tring's side pocket oh, for a toad. Yeah. I've probably mentioned it before, but I mention it again. It's picture a of beer. a toad on the on on the beer clip, holding a pipe, winking at me, saying, "This one's for you, son." So yeah. I went for it. It's a delicious beer, and I think Matt, when the first time we met, I think when we did the first the, the sort of pre-COVID recordings of season one episode, on, didn't didn't we end up choosing that same beer, and then one of us had to decide on something else? But we did it's on, the lost good beer. on the lost uh, tapes on the lost tapes many years ago. Here, yeah. Matt and I arguing over the fact who should be giving uh, given Tring's side pocket, but uh, I mean, all those <laughs> Tring beers are absolutely fantastic. I think you could choose any one of them. Definitely. Now, sadly, we are coming to the end of the series, and the next episode, number nine, will be the last. It's a very very good one though we'll be finishing with a high it's all about home brewing the good the bad and the ugly cue the Ennio Morricone music now we'll be talking about brewing beer and cider at home so you'll be interested if you're doing it already and if not you might just be tempted to give it a try those that were listening in a few seasons back will remember I interviewed uh, on a homebrew episode and really wanted to give that a try thereafter I had varying levels of success go back and have a listen to that one until then everybody raise a glass get out onto the street support your pubs look after the bar staff look after each other and have a good and from us to you it's a big cheers cheers hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer 52 by going to www.beer52.com. 
beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52. And covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world. And this month, it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia, Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5and2.com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.